Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, she's the former comms official for 45, Roma Duravi. She's an activated supermom who's had it up to here. Jacqueline Toberoff. How much comedy can one daddy handle? Luke Thayer has the answer. And they are a sucker for you. Nick, Kevin, and Joe, the Jonas Brothers, in the spotlight. Now, from Times Square, where the Met Gala Roaches, the Paparazzi, and the Pizza Rats are swapping tales regarding the Duchess of Sussex, here's that Kevin! Thank you, announcer Dave. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us for the next edition. This is episode 17, I believe, of That Kevin Show. And we welcome you in on this weekend. I hope that uh, it's a good one for you. We've had relatively good weather in the New York City area, which is always kind of fun. Uh, but we've got a lot to get to tonight. Uh, we've got a couple of really special ladies going to join us. I, you want to stick around because uh, Roma Duravi served as a communications officer in the uh, Trump White House uh, for 45, uh, and she's just a real delight. Uh, we're going to find out what she thinks about the uh, coming election cycle uh, and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, the very interesting life that she's lived. Jacqueline Toberoff in Hour 2 is equally interesting from this standpoint. Uh, in my opinion, uh, when, when you get a, to a certain age and you have the ability to um, to move on from the kind of what you've done for a while. So if you're a mom and you've been raising kids and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to get out in the uh, world around you and begin to make a difference in various ways, uh, kind of activate yourself uh, into the things that you care about in the uh, world. Uh, I think that is a, uh, I think that is a great thing. And Jacqueline is the perfect example of that. Uh, and she's got a brand new uh, book coming out next month uh, that is going to talk a little bit more about some women who have done that. But uh, these two ladies alone would make this show worth it. But you got to stick around. Assignment Desk Weekend, uh, fabulous tonight. We're going we're gonna to play um, the presidential voicemail. We haven't checked the presidential voicemail in a while. And we've got, uh, we've got some of that for you. Luke Thayer, very funny uh, parent doing a sketch on parenting tonight. We're looking forward to that. And then it doesn't get any bigger than this. I mean, we started promoting it last weekend and um, almost immediately uh, we started getting phone calls. Uh, hey, Jonas Brothers. Wow, that's going to be awesome. So yeah, we they've and the Jonas Brothers just released their brandest, newestest uh, record. And it's called The Album. So look forward to that. I want to get to some serious stories tonight first, though. Uh, well, maybe not so serious. Uh, Harry and Meghan. <laughs> uh, they, I don't know who these two people think they are. But you come to New York, you bring your sass and frass with you. You, you. you go accept an award for Woman of Vision for the year. I don't know who awarded Meghan Markle a Woman of Vision award for anything. I, seriously, I don't know what this woman's accomplished. She was on a, on a C-rated um, 
a TV show. Uh, she marries the prince and immediately moves him out of everything that he's known. Um, they, they go public complaining, whining like babies about this life that they have, which is pretty doggone pampered. They, they try to embarrass the royal family. They do all that they can to bring shame upon uh, their, their family. And now, you know, she's, she's got some, you know, knit in her bonnet about uh, why they're not given more love. And it's just, it is remarkably stupid. These two are remarkably stupid. Um, having said all that, uh, they were in New York this week and uh, claimed that they had a life-threatening, near-catastrophic paparazzi chase that went down when they left the event that she was honored at. And nobody believes them. No, no, the, the NYPD doesn't believe them. New Yorkers don't believe them. Uh, I don't think most of the rest of the world believes them. And again, this this is a very good lesson, kids. Um, treat people well. Be kind. Be decent people. Be good people. Um, because if you keep being nasty with everyone, when something truly nasty does happen to you, they may not be around uh, to assist when that time comes. Um, they got mocked from the mayor's office all the way down, and they kind of deserved it. Sorry. All right, the FBI was revealed this week from some examination of FISA court records, uh, the Foreign Intelligence Survey, whatever. Uh, that This is the FISA court is the one that rules, like, who's allowed to be uh, wiretapped and that sort of thing. And the FBI, according to the FISA court, improperly utilized warrantless searches 278,000 times last year or in 2021, the, the last year they have records for 278,000 times. That means that nearly a thousand times per day, they were conducting searches that they didn't have warrants for and gathering intelligence that they didn't have warrants for. When you look at what we've learned in the Durham report about how intelligence was manipulated, packaged, fraudulently claimed, etc., about Donald Trump colluding with Russia, which we now have proof came from Hillary Clinton, um, was completely false, probably broke some of our espionage laws to collude and create the story to begin with, briefed Obama and Biden and all of those uh, 51 that signed the letter about the Hunter laptop, Hunter Biden laptop being uh, Russian disinformation, embarrassed. Um, everybody should be embarrassed that was associated with any connection of the Russia collusion story because we now know it was 100% made up, 100% framed. And at the end of the day, it's stuff like warrantless searches being in the hands of those that have the power to pull off that kind of chicanery that makes them think they can get away with it. I don't know what the um, payback is going to be to the FBI for 278,000 warrantless searches 
in just one year's time, nearly a thousand warrantless searches per day. But there needs to be something. And that's why whoever gets elected president is going to have to be very serious about what they're going to do when they get there. And to be honest with you, friends, I don't I don't know about this whole primary season. You got people like John Sununu who thinks he has a shot. Nobody knows who John Sununu is unless you live in New Hampshire. And okay, you raise some money. Good for you. Uh, you want to be in a cabinet level position? Just just tell Mr. Trump. But you're gonna go. You're gonna go spend money to lose in the first three primaries and then drop out. Same thing with uh, Tim Scott, who I happen to have great affection for. I, I think Tim Scott's a phenomenal person, um, great senator. He's done a he's done a great job. His story is is powerful. Uh, he's been on my show. Um, I like Senator Scott. Uh, he has a snowball's chance, and you know where, of actually um, winning the presidency. And I don't think that depending on how he conducts himself in the debates in particular, I don't think he's, I don't think that president Trump's going to look for people that ran against him to be in his cabinet. Maybe, maybe he, he's going to surprise me on that, but you know, who's going to be surprised by that is Nikki Haley because she's probably eliminating herself from being able to be on the ticket, much less the VP who she would probably make a phenomenal vice president just with her uh, executive uh, experience and, and just being able to get things done. Um, Tim Scott did jump in this week. Uh, Ron DeSantis is expected to jump in um, probably next week. Uh, it's starting to fill up. There's going to be some characters, but are they going to be able to say, I've done this and I can do it again? That's the advantage that 45 has, and that advantage really isn't going anywhere. I'm Kevin McCullough. Couldn't be more thrilled than to have you with us. Uh, we've got a big, big show coming right back with Roma Duravi from the uh, 45 Press Office. And uh, we've got a lot more straight ahead. It's going to be a great night. Keep it right here on That Kevin Show. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you, I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right. My next guest uh, has quite a story, not just in terms of who she is and where she came from, but also uh, what she thinks about the country and what we need to be doing. She works in PR. She's worked in the White House. And we're very honored to have her with us tonight at That Kevin Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Roma Duravi. It's great to be with you, Kevin. Hey, Roma, how are you? <laughs> so fun to be here tonight. Named after a tomato, huh? Is that... Uh... 
tomato italy technically it's my great grandmother's name but we can go with tomato that's what i tell my uber drivers you have the most intriguing lineage uh tell my audience all of the influences that came down through the ages to make roma Absolutely. Well, like I mentioned, my name is my great-grandmother's name from Yugoslavia, Montenegro. And that's my mother's side, Egyptian and Yugoslavian. Her father came over from Egypt. And my father is Persian Jew. And he moved to America from Iran for the American dream, has had success, lives in beautiful Southern California. And I am definitely a Cali girl at heart. Um, but it really does make me who I am, like you said. And it's a small business household. Christian values, Jewish culture, and it really is the epitome of what America is at the end of the day, because we are a Judeo-Christian nation, and we believe in the American dream, and that's why so many people are, are just dying to come here. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with your dad in, in Iran, when, when and I, it's my understanding he came before the overthrow of the Shah, but mm -hmm. we we tend to think in America right now of Iran as being a very kind of backwards, very overly controlling um, dictatorial state with the mullahs, et cetera. There was a day when Iran was the opposite of that. What did your dad tell you about the Iran that he grew up in? Sure. Iran, uh, the stories that my father painted when he was just a, a young child and a teenager was somewhat of a mix between Miami and New York City. The beaches are painted in gold. The nightclubs are lively. The fashion was extraordinary. Um, the photos that I have of my aunt and my um, other relatives that grew up there as well in their early 20s going out and going dancing. It's just a totally different world from what it is today, which is why it really is so important as a nation in America that we focus on our values and that we fight for our values because it can happen in the blink of an eye. You know, the change in government really does have an impact on your freedoms as a nation. And Americans, I believe, are starting to really take that for granted. You know, what's happening in Iran right now has been unfortunately happening for many, many years, decades at this point. Um, you know, it's really, it's comforting to see that there is some media attention on the protests that are occurring, the women in Iran standing up for their freedom, uh, but it really is not something that's new. So I think that's really important to mention as well. This has been happening for decades and, you know, as Americans, we should absolutely stand up and say that this is something that the, the country should have our support with vocally, with our voices. We should say that we stand with the women of Iran for their freedom, but it absolutely, make no mistake, is a terrorist regime. Uh, the country is dictators. They do not care about their people. They do not care about anything except destroying the rest of the world and taking control for themselves. It's interesting that you mention all of that because you worked in the Trump White House and before you, of course, the Obama White House uh, had control of it. And I remember when that woman was shot in Tehran for wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt in public. And the whole world condemned the killing of that young woman. And it happened right on state. I mean, it happened on live television. A lot of us saw it happen in real time because it was during one of the major protests. And it took President Obama nearly 10 days before he could come out and condemn that. And, and I just remember the difference in he and your boss, Mr. Trump, 
in terms of how they dealt with uh, these real monsters that are in control over there. Um, when your dad sees what's happening there now, does he ever talk about, does it ever strike him as anything significant? No, unfortunately, it's really not shocking to see what's happening in Iran for a Persian Jewish family. That's why everybody has left and is living out their American dream in uh, beautiful California and New York, where you are as well. But uh, it does matter who the president is, and it does matter what they say on the world stage. Policy also matters. Barack Obama was the president who, you know, put forward billions of dollars in, um, you know, the hands of Iran in the form of a so-called agreement that really was nothing other than a handout. Um, so unfortunately, you know, we are living in a time right now where we don't have a president with strength like President Trump. We don't have a president that is standing up to our foreign adversaries. Um, and so we do have to really make sure that at the grassroots level in our local communities, um, we're starting from the ground up. We're starting at the kitchen table. We're starting in our own homes with our own children and making sure they understand how good and how bad things could really be, because it does happen in the blink of an eye, like I said. That's so well said. Roma Devari is my guest and uh, very excited to have her with us tonight. Roma, let me ask you about the um, the the kind of layout of things at present. Obviously, 2020 was a very discouraging night for people that worked in the White House, such as yourself. But I have to think that for people like your mom and dad, uh, who had come here, who have achieved the American dream, worked very hard, uh, became entrepreneurs, uh, and allowed you and, and your brother to have an opportunity that was kind of beyond the pale of anything they probably ever dreamed of. Um, what what were what were those years like for them when you were when you were at sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue? Well, it was just an absolute honor and privilege to serve President Trump. I, I worked for him alongside my brother in Trump Tower back in 2016, moved down to D.C., worked for him again in the White House, his communications office. And he really did accomplish so much during just his first term, those four years. One thing that I do find um, really exciting and kind of fun, a funny story I'll share is that David Bossie, who was on the campaign in 16 as a deputy campaign manager, and Corey Lewandowski at the time, who was campaign manager as well, wrote a book together and they signed it back in, I wanna say it was winter of 2018 to my father. And they said, dear Homa, we moved to the embassy, Merry Christmas. <laughs> And it was a really, you know, kind of nice moment for them to say, look, this is funny and this is cool that we did this, but this is a momentous, huge occasion. Yeah. And the fact that that is something that we could just write in a book uh, and look back on and say, wow, we made a real change for the people in Jerusalem. We're making changes all over the world. And so that's why it's so important what happens this next presidential cycle. That's why President Trump is running again. Uh, there's so many lies that are told about him. The fact that people say he's anti-Semitic is absolutely mind-blowing. There's never been a president that supports Israel, that supports American Jews, Jews all over the world, the way that President Trump does. No, oh, that's well said. Um, and we're coming right back. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the contemporary administration and some things they've been saying lately. She's Roma Duravi. You can find her on Instagram and uh, we'll tell you more about uh, how you can even hire her firm if you're in need of some good PR when we continue. Stay here. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That 
11. From Times Square, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. And we're so thrilled to have Roman Daravi with us. Uh, Daravi Strategies is her firm, and you can find out more about them on Instagram. I know she's got an Instagram page uh, for those as well. But, Roma, free plug for your company here. you got two TV networks and 300 radio stations. What do you do? Thanks, Kevin. Yes, so I run a boutique PR firm. I focus on small startup companies as well as political candidates as as well as charity organizations. There were, there were a lot of interesting characters in the comms department uh, at the White House, many of whom I knew uh, pretty well. Mr. Spicer, uh, Ms. Sanders, uh, Kaylee McEnany uh, was a guest on my show for years before she ever was at the White House. What was the... What was the um, kind of attitude like in the communications offices? Because I oftentimes when I watch the administration that's there right now, I just feel like Corinne Jean-Pierre is just a miserable person and she has nothing fun or nice to report. And it, she really does have a very difficult job trying to trying to communicate what what success looks like in this current administration. Well, if you try to compare and contrast where the current administration is and where ours was in terms of PR, it's uh, night and day. They really don't speak to the press. I actually have a few friends still in the press office there uh, working as reporters, and they are bored, is what they'll tell me. They don't get any information out of the communications or press office there. And so they're just kind of dying for info. And that, those are, of course, the more right-leaning conservative outlets that actually want to get the facts out there for us. But the Trump White House was a machine. It was full of different viewpoints, of course, because the president really appreciated that. But at the end of the day, people that were inside the White House were there for a goal, one goal only, and that is to help President Trump get his message to the American people. And it really was so much more important then than it is now because we did not have the media doing our job for us the way that this current administration does. We had to fight against the media to correct headlines, to correct bylines, to correct so many things all the time. And so it was fact-checking the media and also making sure that the American people truly knew what Donald Trump was doing for him all across the country. It was interesting also to see that um, that there was a willingness to try to talk to people uh, from the Trump White House that no other press office had ever tried. I remember when, I think it was during Spicer's time there, that they brought, they literally brought in uh, bloggers and uh, video connections from reporters from all over the globe. And he would call on a few within the uh, average uh, press conference. There's not as many press conferences being held right now. And another big difference is every time this president leaves the White House to go get on the helicopter, he kind of looks at the press corps, might give him a little, okay, I'll come over for a second, but then he's gone. You guys had to literally pull President Trump away from the press because he was he was keeping the agenda running late because he wanted to take so many questions. He was always available. Yeah, he was the commander in chief and he was the spokesperson in chief. You know, we had 
So many great voices at the White House, Kellyanne Conway, Larry Kudlow, Sarah Sanders, you know, the list goes on. But President Trump really was the best spokesperson for himself. He still is today. He always yeah. will be. And I think the American people really appreciate that for a couple reasons. He is blunt and he will tell you the truth. He's not your typical politician that's going to sugarcoat it and have allegiances tied to money that they're getting in their pocket. He will tell you the cold, hard truth, whether you want to hear it or not. And that's really what this country needs, especially in a time where there are so many lies being spread. Get your reaction to the CNN town hall and how he did in that uh, in that night. Yeah, President Trump got on that stage and treated it like it was his first presidential debate, just dominating his opponent, Caitlin Collins. You know, it, the people in the audience loved it. The people across the country loved it. I don't think CNN has had an audience that large uh, in years. So they certainly loved it, whether they're saying that or not. They got some viewership that they really needed. So yeah. President Trump got on that stage, really gave it his all, and showed you what you can expect from him when he becomes president again. Uh, okay, there, there's your prediction right there. Final, <laughs> final question, 10, 15 seconds. It uh, looks like that side is going to run with white supremacy as the boogeyman enemy. Um, is that going to resonate in America right now? Absolutely not. Joe Biden is the divider in chief, and he is going to use everything he can to try to make you hate your neighbor. The reality is the American people are done with that. They want to come together. They know that white supremacy is not a driving message and that this nation is full of love, not hate. So that message is a failing one. Joe Biden wants to run on it. Let him go for it because he's going to fail anyways. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Roma Duravi, thank you so much for taking some time out of your Saturday night with us. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. You got it. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Uh, Kevin McCullough, very glad to have you with us. Uh, and I want to each week say a big thank you to those of you that have been helping us with our effort to end human trafficking in our time. Uh, it is a really big deal to me that last week uh, about 10 of you uh, went to the phones and said, I want to liberate a human life uh, because we are making tremendous progress towards our goal. Our goal for the end of the year is to have liberated 192 human slaves from North Sudan so that they can go back home to South Sudan. These are people that were taken as spoils of war in the Sudanese civil war. And many of them, when they were just very small girls, uh, were, were taken. But last week, um, 10 of you said, uh, I want to I want to liberate one. And so we are now at 56 of 192 uh, liberated for the year. And that means that there are 136 left uh, of names that we have on a list of, of slaves that we know about that we can go and actually do something about. And that means the world to me. Um, when when we started doing this a few years ago, uh, it was very clear to me that this is a very unheralded thing. 
the the governments of the world came together to solve this the Sudan civil war. They divided the countries. They created South Sudan as the kind of world's youngest country. Uh, that's a safe haven for Christians that are in that area. But they did not do one thing about the more than 185,000 slaves that had been taken during the course of the, of the war, M most of them women that were very small children at the time. So it's been about 15 years. A lot of these women have spent um, all that time in captivity. Uh, they have had their identity taken away from them. They've had their name replaced, a Christian name uh, replaced with a Muslim name. Uh, they've had um, their genitals circumcised because the slave master says you're not a good Arab wife if you don't do that. And you can't be a good Arab woman if you don't do that. Uh, sometimes they are forced to do that on their own. They don't have sanitary spaces to do anything like that. So there's infection and there's other things. They've really, really suffered in that regard. But that's just one type of suffering. They've been repeatedly raped. They've been starved. They've had other things happen to them uh, that are on the human level just unthinkable. There, there's a word that in um, Sudanese is is so profane it's it's the equivalent of if a human copulated with a with a canine and whatever the would that union would produce is what they call these people um but the opposite when they are liberated is also true as painful as the pain is that they go through the joy that they feel when they've been liberated and then they've been given what's called their bag of hope which is everything they need to start their life over again not only is it uh, shelter from the weather it is also uh, food for a year. It's seed for food for a following year. Uh, they get all kinds of utensils to garden and cook and do things with. Uh, they have fishing supplies. They have other things that are all included. Uh, and then best thing of all, each of them receives a kid she-goat that will grow and be able to produce milk and cheese and other things for the, the slave, the former slave, but it will also give her a way to have a micro enterprise to support herself with as that goat then bears other goats uh, in the days and weeks to come. So each week here on that Kevin show, we've been, we've been relaying for you a story of one of the slaves that has been freed. You helped free this slave just a year ago. And I want, I wanted you to hear uh, another one tonight because it is really in kind of the telling of their story that you grasp the magnitude of what we've done. These stories have been translated from the Sudanese tongue into English. And so the kind of choppy delivery of the grammar and so forth is just how uh, that is portrayed. We're trying to be as accurate as possible. But would you take a listen to this and then I'll be back to tell you how you can help liberate a human being right now. My name is Nanya Newt. I was about 15 years old when I was captured. My mom had spent the last few days teaching me all about what it meant to be a good wife and a mom, showing me how to cook and sew. She had hoped I would get married in the future. One day I was out collecting firewood and that was when the Arabs found me and captured me and took me to Sudan without the chance to tell my family goodbye. It took me many days to walk the complete journey they gave us boiled sorghum as we went, and the men that had been captured with us faced grave dangers. They were considered to be spies, and most of them were killed right in front of us. Upon arrival in the north, I was sold to a master in Miriam village, and then I was sold almost as quickly to another Arab in Magalagate. He made me work for his family, sweeping the compound and washing the dishes. 
They worked me long and terrible hours, pounding sorghum, fetching water. And then they said in order to be a good Muslim woman, I would need to be circumcised. I was held down as it happened, and then I was forced to marry. Against my will, they forced me to work even when I was sick. If I did anything that made them angry, they would beat me. My master never bought me any clothes, never paid me for any of my work, and barely ever fed me. Then one day, I heard about a CSI retriever, and I ran to find them in the town. As it turned out, they were freeing slaves in my region, and they had not known about me. But I think God allowed me to find them because they brought me home. We walked that same journey back to South Sudan. And today I thank God because I am free. I thank the Arab retriever because he helped. I thank CSI and for those who gave. I cannot thank those of you who gave money to help us become free ever enough in all of my life. But I do hope that my prayer is answered, that we will not stop until they are all free. That's what so many of the slaves tell the CSI staff when they get to the recovery camp. Uh, please don't stop until all of them have been freed. Friends, it's our effort to try to end human trafficking in our time. Uh, 888-342-1010 is the phone number. 888-342-1010. $250 not only liberates the slave, but gives them everything they need to start their life over again. Please call 888-342-1010 or go online to bringherhome.org. That's bringherhome.org. Ready or not, we'll be right back. trio of brothers from Wyckoff, New Jersey, Kevin, Joe, and Nick, the Jonas Brothers. We try to kid each other, but you know it's always 
from a brand new record they simply call The Album. It is the Jonas Brothers with their first original work in some time. An interesting story about that particular uh, performance, they taped it following a completely live concert. Talk about uh, staying up late. <laughs> anyway, Gavin McCullough, glad to have you with us. You ever want the artists that we feature on the Spotlight? You can get them 100% for free. Just go to Spotify or Apple Music and search New Music Spotlight that Kevin show. Put in all those uh, search parameters. It'll bring you straight to the playlist that we curate, and you get all of the hits, even before we release them on the show uh, the week of. So give it a try. Give it a try, and uh, go check it out. Spotify and Apple. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. 